0: Hello, I'm Rita Mystery, and this is Healing Place, the podcast which explores people's stories of challenging times that have shaped their lives and led to change and healing. Today, I chat with Giles Paley-Phillips. Giles is an award-winning author, podcaster and screenwriter. He's written several books for children and two adult novels. His book, 152 Days, has been adapted for Picture Perfect Films. Giles has also written six short films for Little Angel Theatre and his podcast Blank has been nominated for the British Podcast Awards as well as being number one in 16 countries on Apple Podcasts. He is now the co-host of the popular show Unquestionable. In this episode, Giles shares his personal journey of grief and how he found healing in creativity, kindness and meaningful connections. He also offers insights on how to support those who are grieving and how to build resilience in the face of loss. Let's meet Giles. Thank you for being here. And also thank you for encouraging me to start this podcast. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be doing this today.
1: Oh, don't say that. No, that's great. Well, it's lovely to be here. Lovely to talk to you as always, Mita. So thank you. Thank you for having me on as a guest.
0: Thank you. So I've been doing some research on you and I know you've been on your own sort of healing journey. And I'd really like to start by opening Mm. the conversation about asking you what has led you to become a writer.
1: Oh, goodness. Well, it's it's a long drawn out tale, which I'll try and condense into <laughs> into a few minutes because it, we could do the whole session on that. So yeah, basically, I guess my background really was, um, I mean, if we go back to school type days, I wasn't particularly academic. I, um, I struggled at school and yeah, I didn't really find the thing that I was really like into or what I thought I would do long term until I kind of went to college. And then I met a bunch of guys who I just you know when you sort of find your tribe of people who you really who really get you and you really get them and we started playing music together and that became sort of ravenous for music and um, like playing music and like listening to music and learning to play the guitar and um, it was quite apparent early doors that I wanted to start a band and we started playing um, songs together and we we were always really into like just writing our own material as well. Like we never wanted to do like covers or anything like that. So, so learning to write music and then like write lyrics and stuff like that was kind of my first kind of step in towards writing. And then um, that went on for about five or six years. I was playing in this band and we were, yeah, we got, we did lots of touring and we we wrote a couple of VPs that we recorded and we got to play some big festivals. It was very exciting time, you know, it was a, as a young man kind of getting to see the see the country and like hang out and I mean you know there was there was often nights as well where you've traveled for five hours and then you're sleeping in a van and all that kind of stuff so it's quite character building time and then um once the the band kind of broke up and then I ended up um sort of trying to figure out if I could continue my creative journey because I'd loved doing it so much I loved the creative process you know coming up with my own ideas and all that kind of stuff. And that's when I started writing really. So I uh, found out my wife was pregnant and then I started thinking, actually, do you know what I really like to write something for him um that you know that we could like have that time before bedtime, that bedtime hour where you're reading stories and stuff that it could be something that I've written.
0: That that's really lovely to hear that you you were able to follow your creative passions because often that is suppressed for a lot of people so that's that's really lovely to hear so were there any sort of challenges that you faced as a writer i mean often there is a lot of stigma around it it not being a stable profession and it can be a little bit off-putting how did you face any challenges like that
1: well yeah i mean i think because i'd had this grounding in in playing in a band and music i knew that you know it's it's becomes apparent very early doors that if you're going to enter into creative into a creative life or creative way of life that um you're gonna have to work very very hard to be successful at it because you know no one's gonna like hand you anything on a plate you've got to really kind of um put yourself out there and you've got to hone your craft as well like really hone what you're doing and it can that can take a long time so yeah i think Obviously there were sort of peers and um uh like adult influences in my life who were like, You sure you want to be doing this? You should probably go and get a proper job, yeah. you know, inverted commerce, proper job, um, kind of thing. But um I think it was such a desire and passion for me to pursue this this uh this creative life that um I kind of those kind of conversations were kind of making me more determined to do it yeah um and I don't mean that in a like sticking two fingers up at people but <laughs> just that I think that just that kind of became a bit belligerent about it I suppose in yeah. some ways and kind of drove the passion more made me more passionate about it in some ways sometimes when you're I mean it's, it, you know I guess when you're told not to do something you you think well okay well maybe I should do it then
0: yeah, absolutely. Especially if that's something you really want to do, and it is your passion, it almost makes you want to prove to other people, no, actually, I can do this, and it's it's it just shows your resilience and your determination to prove every everyone wrong. But you, you know, like you say, you you have to really believe in yourself. It must require that uh, level of self belief to keep going. Um, so how? Did you sort of work on your writing style or what sort of influences did you have in, in sort of developing your style of writing?
1: Well, um, I think going back to like writing lyrics and songs, like the first kind of bits of writing I was doing were more of like children's books. So I think the rhythms and rhyming and that kind of stuff was very intrinsic in those those early pieces of work that I, I did. I was always really into Um, rhyming books and stuff as a kid and I think that's what I kind of and I I love things like Spike Milligan and um, there's a in fact one of the the biggest influence on my writing was um, in fact I've got the book up here I've got all my books above me but this book you can see on the camera is called A Light in the Attic by Shel Silverstein he's an American author and he writes not kind of nonsense poetry and that book funny enough I was when I was starting out with the with the writing, I, um, I was, at the time I was working in a toy shop, which was a great job, uh, and I got to listen to lots of children's conversations, hear what they're into and that kind of stuff, so it was a good source of material, um, but I was really struggling to figure out what my style would be, and um, I was in a charity shop, and I've, I came across that book, The Light in the Attic, and I picked it off the shelf. I was kind of drawn to it, the cover and stuff, I picked it off the shelf, and I started it just instantly resonated with me the words in it. And I was like, oh, this is what I wanna write. So I remember rushing, literally rushing back to work in my lunch break and writing my first children's story that day because it just spoke to me that that book. So it's like a sort of these unique you, you sometimes have these kind of serendipitous eureka moments where you discover something or you meet someone, um, or you hear something or you watch something that like suddenly triggers something in you. And that's yeah. that's kind of how yeah. that kind of kick started my um my children's writing career but then from that i um i always wanted to write novels and and um screenplays yeah. and things so i always i always kind of knew that given time i would kind of develop my writing in other areas
0: that's really lovely to hear as well you know about that sort of serendipitous moment and those moments of creativity where you know, you do, you get that light bulb moment. And you think, right, I've got to write everything down. And, and that's just uh, really wonderful. I think that happens with a lot of us when it comes to writing. Mm. I wanted to ask you about your book, your brilliant and very moving book, actually, which I've read, 152 Days. I know you've written a little piece of mind as well, or equally Moving and brilliant, but I'd really like to talk about uh, 152 days. What um, inspired you to write this book? It is very beautiful and moving.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for the kind words. Um, Yeah, so I think really 152 days is kind of almost like I guess a lifelong desire to tell my story, and it's although it is still semi-fictional there is an awful lot of my own experiences in there i lost my mum when i was six and um to leukemia and at the time when she was very poorly getting chemotherapy uh, in hospital she was hospitalized with it um i had a really bad bout of pneumonia which meant that i couldn't um go and see her i couldn't visit her because obviously with the chemotherapy obviously knocks out your immune system so um you know i wasn't able to see her so there was this kind of weird position where I was in we were in the same building uh where she was upstairs in the wards and I was downstairs getting treatments but I couldn't actually go and see her there was this like isolation between us and that that part of the story always kind of um intrigued me and that's kind of the the beginning of the book is about that but the book is has got some fictional characters in it but most of the stories and like anecdotal bits in it are, are, are you know about my own Processing of her her death tough. I wrote it in my mid thirties, and that was definitely a time where I think I was really um, my my kids were becoming a similar age to I was when when she died. So it was like kind of very prevalent in my life, and I feel like it was. And it's a bit of a cliche to say these things are cathartic, but it was definitely a cathartic experience to write. And I I think it was I needed to write it at that time. It was. It was a form of therapy for me. And I think, you know, writing has this amazing ability to do that um, and actually physically writing something down. And I always say this to other people, like if you're going through something difficult, actually physically writing it down is um, it's so powerful because you get the process of writing it, but then you get to read it back and see what you've written. And, um, and I guess, to be honest, a lot of when I was writing 150 Days was a stream of conscience. It was just me blurting stuff out onto the page and then kind of pitch picking it all together. The, the The book's written in a, in a free verse form as well, which is a bit unusual, but I felt like for me, like I've always, again, going back to what I was talking about earlier, like rhyme and rhythm and stuff has always been a big thing for me. And I think it, for me, it also is a way of emoting better. Like I didn't want the story to be bogged down in lots of prose. I wanted it to feel Um, poetic and um, poignant I suppose that's kind of why I chose to write it in that style I felt I could convey my emotions better through um, a a verse form so yeah so a long that's a long-winded answer to your question but yeah it was um, there was lots of reasons for there was lots of reasons for writing it and writing it was definitely going on the theme of your podcast it was definitely a healing process for me
0: Sure, sure, so I mean I was I know you've you've said it was a cathartic process for you. Did you at times find that process also difficult as well to bring back those memories of a difficult time of a child in isolation effectively away from his mother? how was that how did how was that experience of writing that for you?
1: Yeah, it was really challenging, and there was points where I had to stop and give myself time away from it and then you know kind of drift back to it when i felt ready to because yeah i was churning a lot now i i haven't got a lot of people to sort of talk to about this time either i've my my father died in 98 um and um i've got a brother who's a lot older so his experience of it is very different to my experience of it. So, I di- again, I didn't want to lean on his memories of stuff or his experiences because they would be very, very different. He was, like, in his teens when my mum died. So um, so I kind of – for me, I kind of latched into um, the teenage version of myself where I was really kind of going through – So a lot of the bits in the book about um, dealing with an alcoholic father, there's isolation, obviously, is a big part of the story. And then also um, having those sort of experiences of like poverty and stuff, which was stuff that I sort of experienced in my teen years. So trying to process those big life traumas, but in my teen years was kind of what I, I picked out in the book. But yeah, certainly it was a very... It was very challenging at times, and I did have to step away from it. Um, but overall, obviously, it was a very rewarding experience, and one that you know I'm, you know, I'm so grateful to have had. Because I know some people don't get that opportunity to, um, to to tell their truths or, or, or process these traumas, and I always feel grateful that I have got creative outlets, whether that's music, writing, making podcasts. You know, I always feel really grateful that I have the opportunity to process these things, talk about them, reflect on them. And I think for me, creativity is a big part of that.
0: Absolutely. And like you say, Giles, you know, we, most people experience traumas in their life and, you it is like a layer of onions, and you sort of peeling them back till you get to the core of mm-hmm. who you are, and and sort of releasing some of that um, baggage, so to speak. And it can be a painful experience to open up some of those wounds, but you know, like you say, you have those outlets and the support around you to be able to do that, and that can help with your your healing. So that's really. Uh, encouraging to hear and hopefully that's something that uh, listeners can take away as well as much as we don't want to sometimes visit our traumatic past it can actually be quite beneficial in helping us uh, to move forward so thank you for sharing that and um,
1: no worries
0: is there any advice you'd give to aspiring writers obviously you, you're a pro writer you, you've written lots of children's books films you, you've written a couple of novels you've written songs what would you say to aspiring writers when they're working on their craft
1: well, to be honest, the first thing I always sort of suggest is just go and absorb other people's craft like you know mm. go and read as much as you can now i'm I'm a terrible reader um I have to admit you know and it's like it's, it's a it's a weird thing to say when you're you know you're, uh, It's weird you saying professional, right? Because I I, I have to, like, remind myself sometimes (laughs) that that I am that. Um, You are, it it feels like, you know, that imposter imposter syndrome kicks in. But um, I definitely think, like, going and learning the craft, like, and actually also, yeah, just doing it as much as you can. Like, just write as much as you can. Absorb other work. Like, look at other types of art as well. Like, not just look at, you know, if you're a writer and you're wanting to write, novels don't just look at novels go and absorb like like art and film and music like let all these different things um color in your your style and your um process i think and you know i i'm a great believer in listening to me i listen to music when i write some people like silence and to be really locked in with stuff but i like you know i often go and write in cafes i like noise and you know um those kind of things to absorb conversations and and music is a big part of my writing process as well so yeah i always suggest those kind of things to people but yeah re- read like go and read as much as you can you know dig into those novels that you love dig into like scripts writing whatever it is you know if you if you want to write a script go and read a bunch of scripts see how other people do it you know and figure out your own route and you know and there's again another cliche thing is like write what you know but I think there is definitely something in there like if you've experienced something and you you've got a story you want to tell around that experience then I think that's always really vital because if you're coming from it from you know if you're writing a story where it's come from a place that you're you know and you've experienced then is it's going to be an authenticity there that people can really relate to
0: Absolutely. And if you're an expert in a subject, then writing about it is going to be a lot easier. And I I love what you've said about Mm. reading lots and especially reading books from different genres and books that you wouldn't normally read. I think that could be quite Mm. eye opening as well because you do get to see different styles, different words, different vocabulary. And and it is, all of that is, our brains are like sponges and they they just soak it up. And Mm. you don't know what's going to spark a bit of inspiration and creativity in you. And often I find it's something that I least expect. I didn't think that would make Mm. me have a creative moment, but it it does. Sometimes it's uh, quite unexpected as well, isn't it?
1: Oh, totally. And I was listening to, so I'm a, a big fan of, um, there's a music producer called Rick Rubin and he's written a book called The Creative Life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recommend anyone to read it because it's just so great. It really nails, like if you're a creative person, I think it will really speak to you. And, um, he was talking on another podcast about this. He's, he's, a he's produced loads of different types of music, metal, rap, uh, hip hop, mm-hmm. um, uh, country music, all sorts of stuff Really great artists And um, he was amazing, talking about yeah. a band called System of a Down De- Yeah, yeah, I was talking. he was talking about a band Called System of a Down and the singer Was struggling with one bit A chorus in one of the songs And um, He just couldn't come up with anything for it And uh, Rick Rubin was like Just go in the other room over there, there's a bunch of books Go and grab the first book off the shelf Pull it out, open the book Any page and just see if Just see if something sparks And he went into this room, he picked out this book, he opened it up, and then he was like, oh, okay, I kind of like the sound of that. Came back in, came up with a melody almost immediately, went and sang it, and it's the best part of the song. It's like amazing. It's like an amazing part of the song. It's like fantastic. And it was just literally that spark of, you know, that came from just going and doing something different, looking at something completely different and Mm -hmm. finding something that wasn't there before. Yeah, I think that's like yeah. this very magical moments you can sometimes have with creativity. So I think yeah, you're right. Read stuff you wouldn't normally read. Listen to music you wouldn't normally listen to. You know, d- yeah. I think that's always really vital.
0: It really is, and it's and you know actually our brains love it because we we create new neural mm. pathways, and it's all good for our healing. You know, when we're creating new neural mm. pathways, doing something different um it is it's it's just good for us I know that's great so in terms of your book just going back to 152 days what Mm. are you hoping readers would get get from that do you think they would get comfort are you hoping that's what they they would get from reading your book
1: yeah I mean look I wouldn't want to say like comfort necessarily because you Mm. know everyone's experiences are different but yeah. I think if there's something in there that might resonate with you and that you can come alongside with, um, it's you know, for some people have have contacted me saying that it was a very painful book for them to read and they couldn't finish it. You know, there's been certain people, or, or, or some people have bought it and have said, I, I actually haven't started reading it yet because I don't feel like I, I can go in there yet because I'm worried kind of thing. Um, so comfort's a tricky one. I wouldn't want to necessarily say it gives anyone comfort, but I would say that, hopefully some people can resonate with aspects of it and and come alongside it and if they've been through a similar experience that yeah they can feel like less alone um you know that they Mm -hmm. can I think we we all that's the great thing about storytelling is that we can tap into things that we might um have experienced ourselves or been through and it yeah it just makes us feel less alone and I think you you know if you can feel less alone you can feel like other people have had a similar experience to you then that is um that's an amazing thing to have so that's I guess that's what I'm hoping that people might feel less alone if they read that book
0: That's great. Thank you, Giles. And absolutely, like you say, grief is a very unique experience for each individual, and there's no timeline on it, and everyone expresses it in a different way. And there's no good or bad or right or wrong way to do it. But you Mm. may find other stories where you feel less alone and if something resonates with you something that worked for somebody else that you may not have thought about on your own healing journey might actually help you as as well so Mm -hmm. you know that leads us on quite nicely to um you know kindness and grief I think I'd really like to explore if there is a link between kindness and grief and I know in terms of your social media, which is how we met, you have created a, a wonderful and a huge community on social media where you are all about promoting kindness and you're, you're one of the most kindest, generous people on social media. And I'm really curious to understand um, what role kindness plays in the process of sort of healing grief uh, after losing a loved one. Well, I think there's
1: many aspects to it. I mean, I, the easy answer would be to say that um my experiences have led me to feeling very grateful, like you know I can wake up in the morning and think I'm here, I've got a lovely family, I've got great friends, I get to do a job that I love doing, and there's all these things so gratitude plays a big part in my outlook and how I feel about the world and try and sort of express myself in some way. If I was going to go a little bit deeper, I would say that, and this is something I've talked about before, is that um, actually for me, like um, having lost, you know, and I've lost pretty much all my family. I've got a brother, is my only blood relative left from my family. So quite a lot of loss in, in you know, my short time here on this planet. And um, what I feel like for me, and this is what grief represents to me a lot of the time is that, um, For me, I feel like I have a surplus of love. There's all these people that were in my life that there would potentially be people that I would show love to, and they're no longer here. So I have this kind of surplus of love and kindness, compassion, all these things. And sometimes that can feel overwhelming, that surplus of love. And I I feel like I have to dish it out at every possible opportunity because otherwise it does, it becomes overwhelming. I can feel... I sometimes can feel my heart almost bursting. Sometimes, natu- like physically bursting, because I've got all these feelings that I want to to give out, and I and that's how I see grief. To me, is like a surplus of love that I wasn't able to like. It has no home. It's no, it's love that hasn't got home anymore, and I and I have to try and give it away as much as possible. Um, so for me, that's kind of where the kindness and stuff comes from. A little bit, I think that's the best way I can describe it really, for myself personally. Um, and, you know, th- there's always those things around, like, th- that philosophical question about if there's any true act of kindness yeah. because, you know, as the as the kind kindness bearer, you're obviously gaining something yeah. from that. Like, if you're kind to exactly. someone, it makes you feel good, blah, blah, blah. Um, but so what? Like, that's a great, <laughs> you know, like, if, if it makes me feel better, then there's the, a bonus. But, like, if I'm making someone else feel better... Then um, far better to do that than to um, make someone feel inadequate or feel in not non included.
0: You know, like you say, when you've got that surplus of, of love inside you and your heart, you're sort of overflowing. You have that compassion, and and that's what you dish out. And I think the world needs more of that anyway. And yes, kindness is good for us, and it you we do we get the helpers high, we get endorphins, we get oxytocin, the love hormone, and that's good for us but also it's good it's good for for the world and we need more of that especially with what's happening right now and what has been happening over the recent years it's just one act of kindness can be really helpful and especially I think when people are struggling and going through grief as well people don't often know what to say to somebody who is grieving and actually um I don't know if you've come across the Sue Ryder charity. They, they they run a Grief Kind campaign. And what they found, they did a survey and they found that 86... Um, 86- Percent of people who've lost loved ones actually felt very alone in their grief but also um of that they also didn't know what to say to somebody who was grieving as well sort of 81% people didn't know what to say so people are quite lost for words and I think this is where kindness and grief come hand in hand because sometimes you, you don't actually need to say anything you don't need to fix anybody you just just need to just be there really don't you
1: yeah and i think i mean we still struggle i think with the conversation around loss and bereavement and death i mean it's it's an it's life's only inevitability really we're all going to shuffle off at some point in time but we still struggle to really discuss these things i think i don't know if that's like culturally that's you know a british thing you know we're bit stiff upper lip and don't want to talk about that it's a bit taboo um and whether that's different in other cultures and I think it might be different in, in some other cultures but certainly I think um uh, it's it was never a thing that we talked about when I was a kid like my mum died it's like well we're not going to talk about that anymore um you know like don't bring up don't bring up mum like you know don't 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 mention that that's like you know um and so it was it was like it kind of like you just gotta shut up and uh, and, and move on kind of thing uh, and that's obviously very wrong because you know 30 years down the line then you're like it's all spilling out of you again so I think yeah there does need to be better conversations around bereavement and loss and and to be fair we're getting better at it you know there's some great podcasts out there there's some really great books that you can buy now there's um, lots of stuff that people are being much more honest about these things and that's great and obviously we're having a conversation about it now and it's good um, and I, but I think there needs to be more open conversations about it, because it is like we're all going to experience it at some point. Um, and the less we talk about it, the harder it's going to be when we do ex- experience
0: that. I know from my cultural experience, I lost my grandfather when I was four and I wasn't told of his death. I didn't even know he had gone. So I think that was because I was so young. They didn't tell me. So, you know, and that ha- also has its repercussions. So I think there is this thing around um, not talking about it because it may not be age appropriate, but there must be ways to talk about it. And I think you're right. We are getting better. We are finding the words and the vocabulary and there's a lot more awareness around it and campaigns as well. But I think having those conversations is, is helpful for people to know that actually a lot of us feel awkward or don't know what to say or how to support you and everybody does experience it in in very different ways um but it's just to know that you're you're not alone in having this experience like you say it is a universal experience that everybody will go through but I think culturally you're right I think there are some some differences
1: Mm. it's interesting you're saying about um like with children for example like not saying anything like I think obviously I went through that process as a child having lost my mum but then and it not being talked about but i think we've all i think most kids i've i speak to a lot of parents and stuff they and i've written in fact i've got children's book which is about bereavement as well and i think um most kids have a fascination around death and stuff at some point in Mm -hmm. their early around six or seven maybe there's there's definitely, like I saw it in my own children and I've seen it in other friends' children, that they have this like fascination and they want to know and they're asking questions and stuff. And it, it is often the go-to to say, oh, well, we, you know, we don't want to talk about that like kind of thing. But I think, again, we've always been super open with our kids. My wife lost her dad at a young age as well. So we've always been very honest about what happened to their grandparents and we've always tried to have an open discussion with it. Now, no, it's not easy to do that, but I think if you're if you have got a child that is curious about that stuff you know maybe seek out some some literature or um you know or there might be some cartoons on youtube or something around this subject that you can talk to them about it because i think it is vital to start those conversations quite early really because otherwise like i say when you get to that point where you're having to actually talk about a a member of the family dying or friend or a pet even um it's much more difficult to cope with
0: yeah absolutely I think it's it's better to be honest with children I know it can be difficult and tricky to find the right words or how to Mm. approach the subject but I think it's better to be honest with them in terms of what they you know in terms of their own healing as well especially if it's someone a grandparent or a or a pet that they're very very close to they need to understand what's happened to them and and like you say having those resources interesting what's your book called about grief for children
1: oh it's called little bell and the moon so it kind of follows a life cycle so it's this um this little girl who and the the moon comes and takes her on like magical journeys through the night and they go and visit far off lands and then it's like a life cycle so she it it shows her, her her life and then going and um and the, the the end, I'm obviously giving away the ending, but the idea around, um, you know, we becoming us becoming sort of space dust and stuff, and we we pass over kind of thing. So there's that kind of um, thing. It's very, you know, it's obviously done in a very um, nice and a thoughtful kind of way. But yeah, it's it's basically yeah, just to give people, I guess, to give children an idea of what what happens in life. Like we know yeah. it's, it's ups and downs, and and eventually that you know at some point you will you will pass on
0: yeah absolutely I, I think that sounds like a beautiful little book and that would uh, really encourage that healthy discussion through a, through a story and and again you know carrying on with the theme of what we've been talking about how stories are, can actually be very very healing and help people of all ages and and that's really wonderful so thank you for sharing that i'd like to ask you a lighthearted question now i'm curious to know if you could have dinner with anybody who would it be mm. and what would you be eating <laughs>
1: <laughs> who would I have dinner with do you know I do I'd actually honestly I think um if I had the opportunity to have dinner with someone it probably would be my parents actually together because I never knew them together because i was only you know yeah. obviously very young when um, my mum died so yeah i think i'd probably sit down with my parents and have and what would we have to eat i think um oh well we always had as a kid we always had like chinese takeaways and stuff so i think probably we'd go to yeah for a chinese takeaway and then we'd yeah we'd have a chat and i could like, tell them what i had been up to um yeah. and they I could tell think me they'd be very like, proud yeah of you. i could i could i could Oh well, that's very kind of you, but I think they would uh, it'd be an opportunity to like uh, really find out a bit more about them, like as an adult, like uh, me now, sort of questioning them about who they are and and what made them tick would be really fascinating, actually.
0: Yeah, I guess you, you, there must be a lot of questions there that you are still curious about that you wish maybe mm. you may have the answers to, so that. To me, it sounds like such a beautiful moment where you could explore those things with them. And I'm sure they'd be very, very proud of you. So,
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that's very kind of say. I mean, I'd, yeah, I don't know if like I'd have to it'd have to be an extended dinner date, I think. <laughs> I think could go on <laughs> for a while. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting. I Do you know what? I often wonder, actually, it would it be quite cool to like get a DeLorean like back to the future and just head back to and visit myself as a younger person and, and kind of, um, see, see how I was, you know, how I was in my, my late teens or like in my early twenties. And, um, I think, I think we probably all like to quite quite like to do that if we were honest Definitely. with ourselves.
0: What would you say to your, your younger self? What advice would you give your younger self?
1: I, It'd be quite simple. I'd probably just say, "So it's all going to work out, okay? Don't, don't, don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> um, it, it, it will all work out. It will all work out the way you want it to work out, because it generally does.
0: It does, yeah. I would say absolutely the same thing. You know, don't sweat the small stuff. All the things we worry about actually become quite insignificant when you get older and you look back. You think, "Why was I so worried about that? It doesn't even exactly, matter." Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really lovely. So what what's keeping you going at the moment, Giles? What are you hopeful about? What's what's happening for you that's make, giving you a, a sense of hope?
1: Well, I guess the sort of same things that normally keep me going, like stuff we've touched on today, like just connecting with people. I love connecting with people. I love being around people. I love talking to people. Um, I love exploring Um life and 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 the creative process which we've talked about like i'm always looking to try new things and develop my um and flex my creative muscles and and develop my um my skills and all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of things that keep me going um i feel very grateful for that that there's so many things that do keep me going i'm 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 constantly kind of ravenous for new stuff new creative projects new um, challenges whatever it is so yeah I think there's an awful lot that keeps me going but yeah I think at the heart of it though is 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 two things connecting with people and, and, and storytelling I think are the two main things that drive me forward
0: brilliant and what is it that you get from the storytelling what what what's what is it that keeps you're so
1: hopeful about stories? I just think stories are just so, they're such powerful tools to convey so many different things. Like, um, you know, various different, whatever emotion it is that you're feeling. I mean, music does this as well to a certain extent, but stories, I feel like it's just, again, it's about connection. I think I've said like connecting with people, but I think stories are a connection to to other people as well. And I always see stories as a and storytelling as a way of connecting with others. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's probably my main driver is that that connection and like, you know, all the creative things that I've tried over the years is it's probably always been about trying to connect with other people. And I think storytelling for me is one of the biggest ways of connecting with people and resonating with others. And, um, you know like we've talked about empathy and compassion i think those all come in they all come into focus when you're telling good stories
0: absolutely and i think like you say the connection is so vital for us as humans because we are social beings and we crave it we need that sense of belonging and community it's so good for our survival our mental health our physical health all of those things we All crave it, whether we realise it or not. I think our society is very much about um, making us be quite individual, It kind of strives for individualism. But actually, what we really need is those connections. Um, So it's wonderful to hear you say that because that is so powerful and stories is definitely one way of, of connecting. Is there anything else that you would like to share with listeners that they could take away, whether that's in terms of pursuing their creative journey or if they're working through a difficult time like grief, or if there's any additional resources that you may signpost somebody to
1: Well with regards to resources, there's a brilliant um, organization called Shout eight five two five eight who if' you're, if you are struggling with mental health issues or you're going through a difficult period or you, you know you are experiencing loss. Um, you can text them as a text service and you know so I know for some people like actually talking on the phone is quite daunting or talking to an individual whereas you can just text and you'll get an instant reply and people, you can have a conversation with someone and then you know from that they might be able to signpost you somewhere else but so I think as you know as a resource that's a wonderful organisation that I would always recommend to people um, as a first sort of port of call if you are struggling with challenges Um I think, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, you know, like I've just said, like having conversations with people is just so powerful. I mean, you know, I've been on a bit of a dopamine, uh, rich dopamine journey of, of late and figuring out what are those really good dopamine hits for me. And, and um, you know, and there's things like exercise, being out in nature and listening to music, all those things. But connecting with people is like the, what for me is the biggest thing that gives me like those dopamine hits and uh and makes you feel good and yeah having conversations with people talking to people um and ha- and and interacting with people in a positive way um yeah. not necessarily always the case on social media but there is some good stuff on there as well but you know i think actually going out and seeing people and um meeting up with your friends as much as possible seeing your family all those kind of things are just um so powerful really and we take things sometimes we take for granted so yeah connecting with people um for me is always a great healer
0: ultimately we are social creatures and we need one another to mm. survive and thrive and if we look back at our ancestors they were all out there in their tribes and we we really do need to pull together and and be there for one another so thank you for that and if anybody wants to find your work Giles how can we reach you because you've got some brilliant books
1: thank you that's very kind well yeah, you can find my books on like amazon or you can go into your local waterstones and stuff like that um and yeah you can find me on social media i'm at eli is 10 to 10 so that's e-l-i-i-s-t-e-n-d-e-r-1-0 and i'm on all the you know instagram twitter and oh it's not called that anymore is it x um it's called x. and oh. <laughs> uh facebook i still call it twitter to be fair
0: yeah well it's hard not to I'll put it all in the yeah. show notes as well so if anybody's thank interested you. in looking up Giles's work it is a really really brilliant book and brilliant work and he's got fantastic thank social you. media so I do highly recommend you take a look and thank you so much for coming oh, on thank you Mita. as my first guest and for encouraging me to start this podcast thank you
1: Oh, no, thank you, Mita. I really appreciate you asking me on. It's been lovely to talk to you.
0: I loved having this inspiring conversation with Giles. I found the importance of human connection and having conversations about grief are essential in building resilience. As Giles says, grief is a universal and challenging process that is unique to each of us, but we can find ways to heal through it. I hope this episode gave some of you hope or help you understand grief a little better. If you are struggling with any of these issues, please check out the links in the show notes, or feel free to send me an email on meter at metamystery.co.uk. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest. So please make sure you're back here by following the podcast on Spotify or Apple. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share with a friend who might find it helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.